Justice Stevens and Justice Souter are absent. They will participate in the consideration and decision of the cases argued today. Justice Souter may arrive momentarily. Uh, we'll hear argument first this morning, number 95-6, uh, Norfolk and Western Railway, Railway Company versus William J. Hiles. Mr. Phillips. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This case involves the proper interpretation of Section 2 of the Safety Appliance Act, which is quoted on page 2 of the petitioner's brief, and which states that it shall be unlawful for a railroad to use on its line, <coughs> excuse me, any car not equipped with couplers, coupling automatically by impact, and which can be uncoupled without the necessity of men going between the ends of the cars. In this case, the respondent, a switchman at the rail yard in St. Louis, Missouri, injured his back while attempting to pull a drawbar uh, into alignment that had become misaligned almost certainly as a consequence of having been disconnected uh, from a prior car uh, on a curve. Mr. Phillips, was the drawbar technology essentially the same at the time the statute was enacted as it is today? Uh, yes, uh, Justice O'Connor, I don't think there's much in the way of a significant mm -hmm. uh, advance since 1893. And so at the time that the statute we're reviewing was adopted, it was necessary for the drawbar to be physically adjusted at times between the cars. Yes, Justice O'Connor, I believe that's correct. As the, as the D.C. Circuit said in the Lewis case, that if you accept the notion that any misaligned drawbar violates the Safety Appliance Act, uh, then every railroad has been in non-compliance with that act since 1898 when it went into effect, which means that every railroad has been subject since 1898 to $100 fines for every such violation, which might have actually saved the federal government its budget problems today, but clearly would have done so in the back of the railroads in ways I don't think Congress intended. What we have here is uh, an injury that falls far afield from what Congress had in mind in 1893 uh, when it acted uh, to protect railroad workers from the possibility of being crushed between railroad cars as a consequence of the old-fashioned uh, link and coupling uh, devices used. Could you just refresh my memory? If, if the employee doesn't recover in this suit, what uh, recovery does he have? Is there a workman's compensation scheme? There is a Federal Employer's Liability Act that would have been available to him had he chosen to bring that action. That, of course, Can he still bring that action? Uh, I would assume at this stage it's too late that the statute of limitations would have run. It seemed to me it was a conscious choice by the... Uh, employee in this case to bring this action exclusively under the Safety Appliance Act and to do so to obtain the benefits under state law of the... You have to show some law. negligence under FELA? He would have to show some negligence under FELA and, and respondent has steadfastly avoided any effort to attempt to do that in this case. So if there's an on-the-job injury with no negligence, uh, is there ever a workman's compensation scheme? Uh, not to my knowledge, no, Your Honor, if it, it requires negligence. It's the only scheme that stands out in this particular way. On the other hand, of course, uh, the, unlike most workers' compensation schemes where there is a fairly fixed cap on the recovery, there's no similar cap on the recovery uh, under FELA. As a consequence of that, uh, employees tend to get uh, significant recoveries. The Jones Act picks up on the same thing, so it's the seamen as well as the seamen have the same. That's correct, Justice uh, Ginsburg. You mentioned the Lewis case. And as far as um, fines are concerned, you're certainly right. But what do you make of this statement in Lewis that um, the, the railroad's duty is, as far as the worker is concerned and the worker's injury, uh, it's a duty not just to provide proper equipment, but to guarantee its performance. That seems to say the, there can be no fine against the railroad but there is uh, a guarantee to the worker. I guess I'd have two responses to that, Justice Ginsburg. First, 
Uh, I think to the extent that that suggests that there might be some potential claim as a matter of negligence or even a claim under the Safety Appliance Act where the only evidence is a malfunction and no evidence put forward by the railroad as to why the malfunction occurred, that is to show that the, simply a case of a misaligned drawbar or an unopened knuckle, uh, sure, there could be recovery under those circumstances, although I wouldn't expect that to happen very often. Uh, the alternative, though, is uh, it's difficult to square the broader understanding of that language uh, with the statutory scheme because it's reasonably clear to me that in order to recover under through FELA for a Safety Appliance Act violation, it has to be a Safety Appliance Act violation. You cannot stretch the Safety Appliance Act to cover situations that it wasn't designed to cover simply because you end up ultimately obtaining your recompense through FELA as a technical matter. It seems to me you'd have to conclude that a misaligned drawbar is a violation of Section 2. And Are you, you saying politely that Judge McKinnon was incorrect to the extent that he said uh, that, the, that there is a guarantee of the performance? I, I think you can justify that statement in the very limited sense in which this court has in the past recognized that if all the proof you have is a malfunction and nothing else comes in, there could be liability under those circumstances. To the extent that that's what his statement means, I don't have any quarrel with it. To the extent it goes beyond that, you're right, Justice Ginsburg, by being polite and suggesting I didn't agree with it. Well, you say that if there's just a malfunction and no evidence produced on the part of the railroad, there could be liability. What would be the theory or the explanation of liability there? Why would there be liability in that yeah. situation? Well, this court's decision suggests that there are essentially two ways to demonstrate a violation of the Safety Appliance Act. Either there's been a malfunction of the coupler, or there's been a defect in the coupler. Now, in the malfunctioning situation, what the court says is, we will presume, if it malfunctioned, that it had something to do with an equipment failure. But what the court said quite plainly in Affolder was that that presumes, in the first instance, that the couplers were set to operate normally. Now, if the couplers were not set, in that case, by the way, opening of the knuckle. In our case, I submit, by way of uh, aligning the drawbar so that the uh, knuckles would, in fact, uh, connect. Uh, then it seems to me, as the court said in that folder, we would have a good defense under that circumstance. So really, the way the particular problem arises simply as a technical kind of pleading problem. If, if there had been, in this case, a failed coupling, I think it might have been the case that we would have been required to come forward to show that it was merely still a misaligned drawbar problem. But in this case, there was no malfunction. There was no effort at coupling these particular cars, and therefore we, we were never even put to the necessity of making that particular proof. So you, you say your case differs from this, the hypothetical and that the there was no malfunction here? That's correct, uh, Mr. Chief Justice. We have no malfunction and we have no defect. And when you don't have either of those things, I would have said that the Safety Appliance Act issue comes to a close. Uh, respondents, however, because they can't satisfy the traditional standards that this court has adopted, has posed two much broader tests to be applied. One is, is that any time you have a coupling problem, which requires an employee to go between the ends of two cars, uh, tracking the uh, end language of uh, Section 2 of the Safety Appliance Act, that then any injuries that arise under those circumstances ought to be compensable uh, under Section 2 through uh, FELA. And our answer to that is that that simply defies the language of that statute. That, this is not a statute that imposes operational restrictions on how the railroads go about their business. What the language about going between two cars does is fairly describe the type of coupler that Congress meant to uh, require in 1893. And a little bit of history here goes a long way to giving uh, content to that particular phrase. What we knew at the time is that in 1893, automatic couplers were fairly new to the scene. 
And Congress did not want to mandate any particular type of coupling and uncoupling mechanism. It simply wanted to describe the type of a device that it wanted implemented by 1898. And therefore, what the, as the court, again, in the D.C. Circuit said, in this case, uh, what we know is that that independent requirement about going between cars is not itself an independent prohibition uh, under the Act. Uh, and part of the reason we know that it can't be really a significant uh, independent requirement under the Act is it doesn't even modify, on, by its own terms, the fact of coupling. Now, this Court has applied that language to the coupling as a reasonable, I think, interpretation of probably Congress's intent. But it seems quite unlikely that Congress would have meant to make going between cars the ultimate sort of sine qua non of a violation of the Safety Appliance Act and not had that language actually modify, by its own terms, uh, that coupling process. Can, can, I, can I ask you a technical question? There isn't a drawing anywhere on what these things look like, I guess, in the record. Is there? Uh, in the record, I... And it would have been helpful because I'm trying to figure it out and I might have gotten it wrong. It, 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 I guess what it is is there's a car like this. Right. And then there's a, a thing that juts out from the car. Drawbar. It has a knuckle on the end. Right. And the thing that juts out's a drawbar. Right. And that sometimes you have to have a little gibbs because it moves back and forth when it go around curves. And sometimes when it gets over here, it gets stuck over here. Right. And then the person has to go between the car and move it back here. Right. Although, when he does that, obviously, they didn't have to be right between or, the or they have to be quite Why didn't somebody apart. think of just putting a spring on it so the spring makes it come back? I, I assume, I mean, there have been experiments made over the past uh, 80, 90 years trying to come up with a mechanism to make it spring back. And uh, Actually, my law clerk found one in the Car Locomotive Cyclopedia for 1974. They have four pictures. And it says... This is a device that keeps a free coupler centered in relation to the end. If the coupler is swung wide when disengaged from another, the device instantly returns it to center position. Right. Is that what we're talking about? I, I assume that would be one of the... He also found, he also found a, a place where he was quite ingenious to find all this stuff. But he, he found a, a, a place where uh, uh, they're doing research right now. It says 4% of the employees' lost time is associated with uncoupling locomotives. And we're going to do a research project. They're, they're, um, but my, my point is that this, this material I'm reading to you makes it sound as if the problem's a design problem. It isn't just a maintenance problem. No, I, I, if it's a design problem and not just a maintenance problem. I, I mean, I'm sure Congress didn't want to stop people from going in between cars to maintain oil, rust-free right. paint. But they did have in mind designing. Well, that, that goes to the second uh, broad theory that the respondents put forward, which is that you really have a duty to come up with some system to realign these drawbars. Well, why not? Well, I mean, not not the percent of people's lost time is lost because of uh, the... Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that I, how I view this no, no. case. I'm, I'm simply trying to figure out, is it more like maintaining, you, you oil the thing, or is it more like designing a better coupler? So, so I, I, I look at this stuff and it's, well, 4% lost time, they, Association of Railroads uh, says we're going to do research. This is uh, uh, they have four drawings of springs. Uh, sounds like design, and if it's design, uh, isn't that the kind of problem Congress had in mind? Well, I don't think it's the kind of problem Congress had in mind because we know that Congress dealt specifically with drawbars in in the Safety Appliance Act itself, and in Section Five said set up a drawbar at a certain height. So Congress knows the difference between coupling mechanisms and the drawbar, and Congress dealt with the drawbar. Now, with respect to... Well, how do we know that the drawbar is not part of the coupling device? Well, we, can, we, we know that Congress at least viewed them differently because Section 2 talks about coupling 
couplers, and Section 5 talks about drawbars, so Congress at least had in mind the possibility of the two being distinct, and as a consequence of that, that seems to me a reasonable basis for answering uh, Justice Breyer's point. But I have a more... But they had the old system, was a system, where you had a thing sticking out of the car called a drawbar, and it had a link at the end, and the link went inside another drawbar, I take it, called a pocket, and then you drop the pin in. Right. So you'd think the coupling system was that whole thing, wouldn't you? And it sticks out, the link, the pin... And, and, uh, I, I'm not trying to f- draw too fine a distinction here. All I'm saying is that Congress clearly had the two different things in mind. This is an automatic coupling requirement, not an automatic realignment of the drawbar requirement. And the fact that Congress dis- discussed specifically drawbars simply creates an inference to me that Congress didn't go as far as what, as what the respondents have proposed as far as the obligations under the Safety Appliance Act. The, the, I think the more fundamental well, answer... Excuse me, I, so, I, I thought your, your fundamental response is simply even if that were so... This is not what Congress meant by the necessity of men going between the ends of cars. Right. They're well, talking about going between the ends of cars to affect the immediate coupling or, or uncoupling. Right. My, well, my, it seems to me the respondents made two arguments. One is based on that language, and I don't think that language carries with it an independent substantive requirement. Now, the respondents do make the alternative argument that under any circumstances, we should have some kind of a duty to guarantee that drawbars can be realigned, regardless of what it takes. That, that, that we have a technological responsibility that goes forward. And all I was trying to say to Justice Breyer is I don't think that's what this statute ever had in mind. I don't say anything in the language of the statute that would support it. And indeed, the absence of an independent requirement of having to go between the cars is the, is the complete statutory. It, it, it is. part of that same right. argument. I may have parsed the argument too finely for that purpose, but I do think the point remains the same, which is there is no duty on the railroads to devise the kind of technological change uh, that uh, Justice Breyer... How many injuries of. were there last year, if you know, approximately, caused when people went between cars to realign, misaligned drawbars? Do we know the answer to that question? Uh, the answer to that was is, is in the footnote in our brief. Uh, as I recall, it depends on which years you pick. One year there was one death and a handful of... of but is that... I know that, that... I do recall I had some numbers on that, but I didn't know that that was related to going between cars to cure the problem of misaligned drawbars. I don't think anybody collects the data on that on that close uh, point. I think what they do is they right. collect data on coupling problems and then whatever coupling problems may... You know, presumably, you could have an injury if somebody's going in to lubricate the coupler so yeah. that it would... That actually, in any case, requires the necessity of going between the ends of the vehicles, right? Yes, Your Honor. And it, someone might be injured going between the ends of vehicles when it was not necessary if the vehicles close while the person is in there. Right. But your point is, I take it, that there's no necessity of going between the ends of vehicles within the meaning of the statute within with the, this coupling system. That's correct, within, within the meaning of this statute. And this individual right. wasn't hurt by reason of being between the two cars at all. He strained his back, as I gather. That's right. If he had, it could have happened if the car had been up on a mountain. Absolutely. If he'd been asked to bring a coupler in and put it on the, on the end of the drawbar and picked up the coupler and injured his back, uh, he would have exactly the same injury in exactly the same situation, but there wouldn't be a serious argument that that violated the Safety Appliance Act. Again, that's a, that's a situation where the Federal Employers Liability Act would apply. I, I do want to answer uh, Justice Breyer's one concern about this technology and whether it exists. The, the most recent evidence I saw from the AAR was that on the devices that have these kinds of springs, something in the neighborhood of 30-some percent 
we're the only we're in operation. We're actually working, even even on the where they have those devices. For some reason, and I, I don't frankly know the technical explanation for it, but for some reason these springs don't hold up very well, and in that sense probably pose at least as much of a risk of having people is going this, in there. Is this in, in the record, Mr. Phillips? This is this is in the the, the D.C. Circuit's opinion in in the Lewis case. There's a discussion of this evidence. That's all I just mentioned for, for that purpose. The reason that I find it quite relevant, and I'm uncertain about how to proceed is if, in fact, there are a lot of people who are hurt by this and they have to go between the cars to realign the drawbars and you could cure it at very little expense with a rubber band or a spring, perhaps it does fall within the statute which was worried about going between the bars and being hurt for coupling. Well, I would go back... Just like maintenance, where you oil it occasionally, then it wouldn't. Well, I would go back to Justice Scalia's point because I, I think you cannot get to that stage unless you conclude that there is an independent prohibition against going between cars. And that, I don't think this, the, the purpose or the language of this statute will sustain. And as a consequence of that, to the extent that there is a problem that requires a resolution, whenever they get back in order again, take, it, should be, it should be dealt with across the street and not by the court here. Uh, at the end of the day, what we have here is an injury that, that is nowhere near the kinds of injuries that Congress had in mind when it enacted the Safety Appliance Act in 1893. This is an injury that is fully compensable if there's been negligence by the railroad under the Federal Employer's Liability Act. In addition to that, of course, the railroad would have uh, the opportunity under those circumstances to demonstrate contributory negligence and thereby reduce the uh, uh, employee's recovery as a consequence uh, of that contributory negligence. I think that is a balanced scheme and that this court ought not to unbalance that scheme by giving the Safety Appliance Act an unduly broad interpretation. Mr. That Phillips, reason. I think Judge McKinnon was writing as of, what, 1983, and he said that after 90 years, uh, that the automatic realigning devices, as distinguished from automatic coupling devices, are still in the experimental stage and had been installed on less than 1% of the railroad cars. Right. That was as of 1983, uh, he was writing, and what you're saying is that, that since that time there has not been any significant change. As I understand it, there's not been any significant technological advance that would eliminate what, what problems existed in the past. Uh, that's my understanding. Again, none of this happens to be in the record, though. If there are no other questions, I'd reserve the balance of my time. Very well, Mr. Phillips. Uh, Mr. Mann, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, um, I have a photograph that may assist the court. Uh, this is the actual car that was involved in the accident. Um, record, uh, is, is that a photograph of something that's in the record? That's an exhibit. An right. exhibit. Yes. And what I want to point out to the court is that the rail industry has, has dealt with only one aspect of coupling and uncoupling. They have dealt with the uncoupling process. They have provided a level here that you see which allows the coupler to uncouple without the necessity of anyone going in between the cars. What they haven't addressed is the coupling procedure. They have not touched the coupling device to prevent it from going back and realigning. And, and Justice Breyer, the passenger service in this country has that type of device in effect. They use it. And they use it without major problems. Uh, the freight industry... Do we, do we know that from the record? Uh, Mr. Chief Justice, uh, I was involved in the case. 
uh, at Victor Dewey. Do we know that from the record? Not from the record. It's in my brief. Yeah, I suspect you, I suggest you confine yourself yes. to the it, record. Um, the, the point is that this is a performance standard statute. The Congress was not concerned with how the industry attempted to prevent employees from going in between the cars. They said to the industry, take care of the problem. In coupling and uncoupling, take care of that problem. Do not allow the employees to go between the cars in either process. Mr. Mann, I assume when, when, that, uh, when that coupling device is, is, uh, is initially manufactured, somebody, uh, somebody had to uh, uh, be there to, uh, to put it on, right? And uh, the car that that car would first be coupled to was somewhere down, maybe miles away, but it was somewhere down the railroad tracks. Correct. And one could say that the person who installed that coupler was going between the two cars, namely between the car he manufactured and the car it would ultimately be coupled to. Now, do you think that's what the statute refers to? No, sir. Well, he was o going between the cars. O only, okay, only so the process. Draw a line somewhere, right? It has to be. Only the process of coupling and uncoupling, the maintenance, testing, and inspection of the car, there is no okay. problem here. All right. Now, is the process of coupling or uncoupling, you say the process does not begin with the installation of the coupler? Does not. Why does it begin with the setting of the, uh, of, the, of the coupling mechanism so that they will engage properly? Because it will not engage unless it's set properly. It will not engage if it's not installed either. But that is not covered under the statute, Justice Scalia. I agree, but I, I don't see why setting the arm is covered either. It seems to me what the statute addresses is the immediate action of coupling and uncoupling, which is physically risky. Because in the old days, the employees faced the necessity, which is what the statute refers to, the necessity of going between the cars while they were close together and in the process of coupling. This, that isn't necessary now. This, in this court has already, has already ruled many years ago in a case called Wagner. Uh, there was no movement of the car. You don't have to have movement of the car. I'm talking about but, movement. I'm but, talking about whether the act in question is an act that is involved where the cars are necessarily in proximity because they are in the act of coupling or uncoupling. It's not only the proximity, but in the preparation of the coupling. Oh, but you say that installing the... You, That's not preparation of the coupling. It isn't? You don't, think, you don't think putting it in in the first place is no, part of the preparation? No, it's not in the preparation of coupling. No, sir. That could be in a shop somewhere. Well, it, That's it, certainly not in a preparation of coupling, in I my see, judgment. I see. So installing it wouldn't have been coupled. No. Wouldn't have been covered. No. But, but as soon as he installs it, he moves the arm to the proper central position. Then he is covered. That's that. I disagree. No, sir. Not until the cars are on the tracks. Within some proximity? Some proximity. I see. Okay, so we're talking about how much proximity. It, I don't think how much proximity was there here? Uh, I think there was a car length, or maybe two. But it doesn't matter. The fact is, if the employee has to go in preparation of the coupling procedure... It doesn't matter what time or how long that time is in his work day. The purpose is to prevent that employee from going in between the cars for coupling or uncoupling. So that if that car sits on the track, uh, say, even an hour, so long as it is in preparation of the coupling procedure, I submit to you, Justice Scalia, it's covered. The, the language, it seems to me, at issue here in the, in the revised statute is couplers coupling automatically by impact without the necessity of individuals going between the ends of vehicles. 
could not happen in this case. It could not happen because this, uh, this drawbar was skewed. And had the crews attempted to push the cars together to collide for couple, it would have never happened. How, what, what is your distance that uh, that, uh, that you think? You say two car lengths is not enough. What about ten car lengths? It doesn't matter. Half a mile? Half a mile? If it's in the same track and they're going, and the locomotive is ready to push that car, and it was this was an operation. We had locomotive in the track. They were ready to push the cars together. That's why the employees were required to align it. They were ready to do it. And they don't have to be in the process, the immediate process of coupling. Well, they were. They were in the preparation. They couldn't couple. I mean, you know, manufacturing is preparation in a sense, too. You have to draw the line somewhere. I, and it I seems agree. to me under this, under this statute, the reasonable line to draw it is when the, when the cars are about to be humped together in, in order to affect the coupling or are being pulled apart in order to, to disengage it. Well, I submit, Justice Scalia, the immediate preparation of that car so that that could occur would be encompassed there. Well, Mr. Mann, I have trouble knowing why we should interpret the statute, uh, the word coupler, as including the drawbar. I'm not sure it does. Uh, Justice O'Connor. They may well be different things. They are dealt with differently in the statute. And... One could envision a coupler as not including the drawbar as such. But the drawbar is all part and parcel. There's the draw head, which is the actual coupling device, and then it is attached in one solid piece of equipment. It's not separate in any way. It's one solid piece of equipment, this whole drawbar, and part of that is the head of the drawbar. But it appears from the language used in, in the different sections of the statute that Congress saw these as different things. I, they dealt with particular parts of the whole drawbar, but they're not different. It's all part and parcel of the same piece of equipment. It's not, you can't detach it. I mean, you could legally, you take the whole part off, but you don't take one off and, and leave the rest sitting there. Uh, I, I sub- it seems like what they were after was was a system to replace the old method where somebody had to go between the cars to put the pen in to couple cars. That's correct. And and that it was this joinder business where they come together and the old pen used to have to go that they were talking about. Correct. Not the drawbar that swings back and forth of necessity to allow the train to turn. But that pen could never have been placed in the train unless they were together. Well, but it's sort of the, you know, the head bones connected to the neck bones yeah. connected to the backbone, right. etc. And at some point they're all one, but I'm I not agree. sure that's the case here. Well, well, Congress, I think it's important to go back. What was Congress trying to prevent here? Injuries and deaths. And how could they do it? The only way oh, they but could... But the most common thing was this business of having to put in the pins. That's what they were focusing on. They didn't want people to have to go in there and physically drop in the pins. Correct. That's part of it. But I, 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 it, it is not apparent to me that they were concerned about the necessity of occasionally moving the drawbar. Well, you did not have the same type of technology at that time as you have today. Congress, it is a performance standard, uh, Justice O'Connor, and... Being a performance standard, Congress didn't care how you do it. Congress said to the industry, do it. Protect the employee in this procedure. So well, could you have done it in 1893? In other words, we've heard talk about what the technology may and may not allow today. What do we know about the technology in 1893? I gathered from Judge McKinnon's 
opinion that he was assuming the technology didn't exist in 1893, so that in fact, one on, on your theory of the of the statute, the railroad uh, could not have conformed in, but, in these situations. But Justice uh, Souter, Judge McKinnon stated, misaligned drawbar or a closed coupler is sufficient to establish liability under Section 2. So I'm talking about what he was saying about the technology. Did the technology, technology exist in 1893 to, in effect, to, to conform to the, the, the standard of the statute as you read it? Not at that time. But well, I wh think why would Congress have passed a statute uh, which assumed a technology that didn't exist. Why, if, if that's what it wanted to do, why wouldn't, con why wouldn't it have been a lot simpler for Congress to say, look, the railroads are absolutely liable without fault whenever anybody gets hurt between two cars? If, if that's what they wanted to accomplish, no, why didn't they say that instead of, of, of writing a statute which is couched in terms of what is mechanically possible uh, uh, and, and uh, at, at a time when it was not mechanically possible to guarantee the kind of, of degree of safety that you claim is inherent in the in the standard of obligation. I think there, there may be two answers to that. First of all, technology was just emerging. Congress didn't know, nor did it concern itself with how this performance standard was to be uh, performed. What Congress was concerned with is protecting the worker during that procedure, whatever that procedure is. And I could envision, uh, Justice Souter, of having a large rod standing on the outside of the car and simply pushing it. But the industry hasn't provided that. Well, let me, add, let me ask you another question. It's a simple question, and it goes to what I'm seeing in that picture. Uh, why, doesn't the, why isn't it possible for that lever, which the picture shows, to align the drawbar prior to coupling? Well... I'm not saying the technology could not be devised. It just looks as though that's what it could do, and maybe well, it is. Well, here it's attached, and it doesn't provide any movement. It's just an open and shut type of lever here. But I... Well, what does it open and shut? Oh, the it, the it knuckle? Op it opens this part here so that... Oh, oh, I see. It doesn't move the bar. No, it doesn't. Oh. It just opens. I see. I'm not suggesting that they couldn't devise it. It's, it's not unlike the old Pinto cases, where it took $10 to put a, a, a valve in. It's cost, it's just economics. It's all it can take a century for somebody to get on the Pinto. Uh, you're saying that this thing was in violation of the law for a century. Was there any federal agency charged with, uh, with enforcing the... Starting in 1970... Before 1970, there was... The, the, well, the Interstate Commerce Commission... Of happy memory. For, for a century, it... it it had the authority to enforce this thing and did nothing about it, you're telling well, us. I don't know that. I'm not... Uh, you, you don't know the contrary I, either. I, 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 I'm, I, that's not in the record anywhere that there was no enforcement. I know. That's, that's exactly what I'm pointing out. For, but, this thing has been going on for a century, and we have no indication, not only of anybody recovering previously because of this uh, safety defect, okay. but of any federal agency trying to enforce the, uh, the, the safety requirement. The, the two things. One is the court has addressed injuries occurring in in this type of situation, not specifically the misalignment. But Mr. Mann, apart from what the courts have done in response to Justice Scalia's question, isn't the Lewis case highly relevant because that was an agency regulation? Yes. It was a regulation that said it's okay to use this hook procedure. That's correct. Now, do I understand your reasoning with respect to the drawbar to be... Uh, inconsistent with the result that was reached in Lewis. That is, it was not, um, it was okay to have this uh, regulation that permitted the hook procedure, even though it involved going between the cars, at least in 
with part of one's body. Only part of one's body. If you recall, uh, Justice Ginsburg, uh, the hook came into play after the coupler was open part way. This is not totally effective and efficient because it doesn't always open it fully. So in Lewis, there was an additional hook used, and the employee stood beside the car, of course, had to reach his arm inside and pull it open. That's that piece of equipment that was used in Lewis. And, and the court, I mean, I can't take issue with the decision of the court, but the court further said in that case that if there is a misaligned drawbar, then that is covered as a violation under Section 2 of the Act. And that's just what we have here. Could you, could you tell me a little bit about your, your rule of causation and tell me uh, what the rule of causation is? Suppose the employee sees the misaligned drawbar and he walks quickly to correct it. Before he gets between the cars, he stumbles and, and hurts himself. Is there liability? No, I don't think there's liability because I think you have a super intervening cause. If, if he stumbles in between the cars, is there liability? Until he... I think there's a super intervening cause. Until there's also... Well, first well there, of all, there's cause, in fact. If it hadn't been for the drawbar, he wouldn't yeah. have moved and wouldn't have stumbled. Violation... So, there must, so, you, so you must be saying that there is some... Uh, requirement of proximate causation between the defective uh, operation of the mechanism and the injury. You, you would agree with that? Yes. And I, I further state that there already was the violation, Justice Kennedy. The violation occurred because it, there was the necessity of the employee to even have to go in between. The, the violation already occurred. Now, whether or not there's causation for uh, uh, recovery is a different issue, of course. But as far as the violation of Section 2, it exists once there is a skewed uh, drawbar. One obvious reason. But in, 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 one more question. In, in this case, uh, as I understood it, uh, your position is that the, whether or not the, uh, the drawbar was, was, was stuck uh, was irrelevant. But it, it seems to me that, that, am I wrong about that? It's not irrelevant. The court has held in a number of cases that you do not have to establish a defect in a car to prove violation of Section 2. Uh, Affholder was one, uh, O'Donnell case, uh, Carter case, there are several cases. And the court has said that over and over. And that's the gist of the railroad's argument here, that you must show a defect before you can recover. But if, if the performance requirement is not there, this statute says that's a violation. Because it's up to the carrier to protect the employee. Otherwise, you're going to continue to have employee injuries and, and death. And what exactly is the performance requirement that, that you deduce but, from the statute? Uh, Mr. Chief Justice, I'm saying that the performance requirement is that in every case, not just in when there's moving equipment, not just when there's a defect, in every case where the couplers do not couple automatically and cannot couple automatically, because of the way the equipment is designed, that there's a, a violation. Even if it's a misalignment, uh, yes. it's a misalignment, not an actual failure of the coupler. That's correct. And the court has already ruled on that, that you do not I, have I, to show a failure. Yeah, but I don't think they've extended beyond failure of the couplers. This is a failure of the coupler. In what because, respect? Because it can't couple automatically. Well, but it wasn't designed to couple if the thing is misaligned. But that's the whole point of our case, Mr. Chief Justice. If if the statute doesn't mean that it must be aligned, of course, then uh, we lose. But 
any... Mr. Mann, aren't you leaving something out when you say the employee doesn't have to show any defect? And you cited the Affolder case. But the employer, then the railroad, can show there was no defect, and that's a, a defense. The court has held in, in several cases that that's not the fact. That, that is totally immaterial to the case. What case holds that the employer comes in, employee comes in, and the employee then, railroad then says, there was no defect? I think O'Donnell case is clearly on point. So is Carter. O'Donnell, they said it doesn't matter that you expect too much of the coupler. Specifically, the court stated that. Right, what is the case that says it is not a defense that the, the, um, the appliance was not defective? I think those three cases would hold that. I think a fair reading of, of O'Donnell would so state that. Can I ask you, um, what was, in just reference to Justice Kennedy's question, I, in this case, wasn't the injury, uh, he, he hurt his back? In pushing, he, what he attempted to do, yeah. Justice Breyer, is push it back in line. But is that the kind of injury that Congress was worried about in passing the statute? I, think I, I, I would have thought that people being crushed or something, or having their fingers uh, uh, stuck in the pins. That was certainly part but, of it. And was it, I mean, you can hurt your back pushing anything in a railroad. But it's not, anything's not covered. This is the only thing oh. that Congress was concerned about, this procedure. It's so dangerous. And even because of bad backs, because of pushing it, or because yes. that you might get crushed? Well, either. Either? You, you but aren't there a lot of heavy things that you push in the railroad? Yes, but not everything is, of course, a problem. Uh, as is there any indication that what Congress was worried about was the fact that it was heavy and you might hurt your back pushing it? Uh, any part of this device? Well, any part of the previous device? I submit it was broader than that. They wanted. Was well, there anything that suggests it was at least as broad as to catch that? I mean, is there anything about bad backs and pushing things? Not bad backs. Well, per se. pushing, pushing. You you hurt your muscle yeah. because you push. No, because Congress envisioned that it wouldn't be necessary. So what I'm actually thinking too is is one reason why this might not have come up before before the railroad commissions is no one's ever been hurt by this oh. in a way in which Congress was worried about. That is, their footnote says one person is killed and 136 injured in all coupling and decoupling accidents, of which pushing drawbars or having anything to do with misaligned drawbars must be a subset. And, and so is there any information that anyone has been hurt in the manner that Congress foresaw by crushing or hands or something to do with it being a car other than just being a heavy weight to push? Ever? The Federal Railroad Administration in the Accident Incident Bulletins, Justice Pryor, is, has a breakdown of those that were injured in moving equipment, those that were injured in non-moving equipment, uh, those that were killed in both... And what is the answer then as to how many people were injured or killed in uh, dealing with misaligned drawbars? I can't... I, I don't know. Find it. We looked for it. We couldn't I don't find know. it. Uh, but they do keep statistical data, and whether it's broken down that specific, I can't answer. So then is the, if, if I thought that really what I'm trying to distinguish here is between what I'd call routine maintenance of things that occasionally cause trouble and serious design problems, and a serious design problem has to do with numbers and the kinds of injuries Congress thought about, then wouldn't I have to decide this against you because the record isn't, doesn't have that information and I can't get it enough? Well, or would I decide in your favor on some presumption? I don't, I don't well, I, 
if you determine that this is not a design issue, then of course uh, we would lose. But in all due respect, how can we decide if it's a design issue if we don't have numbers that tell us how many people are hurt or killed compared with, let's say, the the difficulty of doing the redesign? Well, if the design is required, Justice Breyer, why does it matter how many? Uh, if because, they require, in fact, you wouldn't have to spend the entire gross national product to save somebody from having a, a bad finger, uh, because design is always a question of what kind of problem is caused to people and how difficult is it to solve the problem. Certainly, Congress at, at, in 1893 didn't know what the problem was going to be in 1996, but they did know enough about that procedure to, to say, make it safe for the employee. And safe is itself a word that implies that failure to do it hurts somebody and, and uh, it's possible to redesign your way out of it. So, so, the, so in, in that, the, the safe that they're concerned about is not back safety. Uh, I don't see how you win if if it's a design defect either. For all we know, the ultimate design that comes to solve the problem you're concerned with is a design that enables this arm to be adjusted from inside the railroad car with just as much physical effort as it takes to do it from outside or from the side of the car, so that he doesn't have to go between the car, but he still has to push just as hard. He would have hurt his back just the same way. He would not have had a violation of Section 2. <laughs> there may have been some other violation, but not of Section 2. Mr. Mr. Mann, uh, in, in O'Donnell, the, the court says on page 389, we hold that the Safety Appliance Act requires couplers which, after a secure coupling is effected, will remain coupled until set free by some purposeful act of control. Excuse seems to me that's far short of standing for what you say it stands for. But in... Uh, and then it goes on to say negligence is not required, which everybody concedes here. And, and it further, uh, I think, Mr. Chief Justice, states that uh, the railroad cannot avoid liability depending upon how difficult it will be for them to, uh, to make a coupler that works in all situations. Yeah, it says the act requires a coupler that once it couples, stays, stays coupled. But uh, that really doesn't cover your case. The, the dicta does, not the specific holding in the case, but the dicta certainly does because it states that you should not uh, be, cons the railroad cannot escape liability by showing too much was demanded of it at uh, 338 U.S., 393, 394. But that's with respect to couplers. Uh, yes. N not drawbars. Well, if you're drawing the distinction, I, I can't argue that point because I don't think there's a distinction. They're part and parcel of the same piece of equipment. I, I don't but know it, how it, you can it, it, say it, it, that... It's, it, it's misalignment of the drawbars, isn't it? The entire thing is misaligned. The entire piece of equipment is misaligned. You can't... One part... <coughs> it's, it's impossible to separate the two because here is the draw head and here is the device that is attached to, the whole drawbar. And I don't see how you can distinguish well, in In Affolder, there was also dicta in which the court said, of course, the result assumes the coupler was placed in a position to operate on impact. The railroad would have a good defense if the coupler had not been properly opened. Very logical of the court because they had developed this technology to allow it to open and close without the necessity of an employee going between. But they haven't addressed the other part of that statute. And that is the coupling part. The uncoupling part, they did address. Mr. Mann, I want to get back to Paul's graph. Uh, you, you, you seem to assume 
that if there's been a violation of the act, anything that occurs uh, as uh, with, with but for causality by reason of that violation is recoverable. Now, is, is that true? But the court has held... Just simply because the act's been violated, even though the injury has nothing to do with the act's violation. The court has, has held that it's absolute liability. So suppose, suppose that the, it's misaligned, he has to go between the cars and he gets bit by a snake. Super intervening cause. Well, it's not caused well, by... Well, the, why the is bad back a super, supervening cause? Well, you're talking about recovery of... For damages, but you, I mean, you say supervening the, cause, the liability, but supervening uh, causes are, are, are there, there is a chain of factual causality here. Sure, but push the bar. That's the supervening the cause. Violation has already occurred. The violation is that this is not aligned properly. Well, that's the same case in the snake case. Well, it, it's it's similar because it is the, the violation already exists. The question of whether or not there's recovery is a. a a different aspect of liability. Well, that's part of what we're talking about. But in this case, we don't have that snake bite. We have the immediate issue of pushing the drawbar, which they have not used their technology to correct. But he might have had to push it from inside the car, even if there had been no safety violation. They they might have devised a new system in which you push it from the inside instead of from the outside, so you don't have to go between the cars. I don't think there's a violation. you can say it was caused even but for by I don't think that's a violation. I don't think that's a violation of the statute if he's inside the car. Exactly. That's my point. And he but, would have hurt his back the same way. But if he's between the car, it's certainly a violation of the statute. So yeah. anything that happens between the car is yes. a violation? Not anything. Only in the coupling and uncoupling procedure and in the preparation of that. That's the only thing that's covered by the statute. You have maintenance, testing, inspection. None of that is covered. Well, the statute doesn't say in preparation for coupling. It doesn't say that. I think you're grafting something well, on that isn't in the statute. The, there, there's the Lewis case. The Lewis case is it, a summon, uh, court of appeals. Yes, not that's correct. Finance. And it, it doesn't specifically say that. But um, when you when you look at Wagner case, for example, there was no movement involved. That was a person who was preparing. Uh, let me explain if I may. Well, don't we have some concern when, when we're talking about imposition of a rule of per se liability to make sure that that's what the statute was intended to yes. cover? I don't see why we should make a stretch to pick up every conceivable kind of a, a result here. I agree, Justice O'Connor, but in the preparation part, I think that's certainly reasonable to include preparation if, it's an, if it's, there's a necessity of someone going between the cars. And I'll, t- I'll refer you back to the old Wagner case of the court. That case, the employee was literally standing on this couple. Your time has expired, Mr. Mann. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Phillips, you have 11 minutes remaining. Uh, Mr. Chief Justice, unless there are questions, I'm uh, inclined to give you back my time. Very well. The case is submitted. Uh, we'll hear argument.